Uh, quick question. Is there any value in raising a family, raising children in church? You're thinking about it. Okay. Go ahead and think. Is there any value in raising a family, having children, having you and your children be a part of a church? Okay. Good. I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, it's good to raise a family in church, way, make church a part of who we are as families, as mothers and fathers and children, sisters and brothers, cousins, aunts, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of reasons. One of those reasons that we get reminded of the stories like the prodigal son. Now, I think this parable of the prodigal son is probably a very familiar passage to many, if not most of us here today. Sometimes you hear that, you know, when you're working and you feel like you're in a rut. And in order to get out of that, you just have to go back to your roots. Go back to what, why you first started doing what you're doing. And for me, whenever I read the parable of the prodigal son, that does that for me. Because that was the first Bible story of the first passage that literally came alive at me. I remember reading it one time and all of a sudden I can just see this stuff screaming at me to write down and to see, and I could see a devotion, I could see a talk and other things just, just there, right, right in plain view. So whenever I read the parable, parable of the prodigal son, it, it takes me back to that moment. And I think the story from Jesus speaks to a lot of us in a lot of different ways, and maybe that's part of the reason why it's so familiar, and it's so, dare I say, popular. There was a moment in my life when I felt like a prodigal, when I felt like I had been away, and there was a moment when I, just like the prodigal, the, our version here didn't say, it, didn't say it that way, but other versions say he came to his senses. I love that, because I can remember coming to my senses one time, and realizing how much my life had drifted away from God. And I remembered that I mustered uh, some of the same kind of emotions, I think, and same kind of questions as the prodigal. Am I good enough? Am I the kind of person that God would want to have? Does God really know about all that stuff I've done? And is that okay? And my answers to the questions were no, yes, yes. No, I'm not good enough. But thankfully God is. And God does the work in us. And if I happen to be what we call a person, then God was a whole not willing to do something for me to show me that I was valued and wanted. And, well, the good thing about God is that He knows everything there is to know about us as people and loves us anyway. Yes, thank you, sister. That's an amener. I can see why Jesus told this parable, I used to think, so that we can always see how much we stray from God. How quickly we are to take our inheritance as it was and to go our way and to do our thing. And I think Jesus is showing that about ourselves and also giving us a model of repentance for us to see. Anyone ever felt like or been a prodigal in their life? Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Now, in my house, according to my kids, your kids are probably a different story, but uh, homework is not all that cool. 
Now, it's bad enough, I think, that they have to do it. But sometimes they come with a homework or assignment and they expect Gloria or myself to help them with it. So they bring me into their homework business as well. And the bad thing is they won't ever ask for help on the easy stuff. Man, they always come with some kind of math equation or historical fact or some kind of grammar rule. Now, of course, we're always willing to help them, aren't we? But usually when we do, it comes with this caveat. I haven't done this in quite a while. So, you know, you tell your teacher that when you're showing her the answer I gave you, or that we came up with together. Now, as I think about Scripture, I think sometimes we do that with Scripture. Oh, I know that story. We put it away. Particularly a story that maybe we're very familiar with, like the prodigal son. Oh, I heard that before. I remember Jesus saying that. I've got it. Check. Move on. I remember as I began to read that story more, even after I figured it out, that the story was about my life, as I began to read it more, I I began to think, wait a minute. This story isn't about me. It's about God. This story isn't about the prodigal son. It's about that loving father waiting See, Jesus was showing us that God is the Father that is willing to let us live our lives how we want. That God is not going to pressure us. God is not going to make us do anything. God has given us the spiritual freedom and God lets us do with it as we will. Now, of course, we have to realize, truth be told, we don't always do so well with it. We abuse it. We don't appreciate it. We certainly don't Use it for God's glory. But even so, there is a loving Father who is waiting for us. There's a loving Father willing to give us everything we don't deserve. God is there waiting. Yeah, Jesus told this story to show us how patient and how loving and how merciful God will always be. Any of you ever experienced God to be that way? You weren't so willing to admit you were a prodigal, but I saw the head shaking on that one. Okay, yeah. Because that's how God is. But, I started thinking again. See, Jesus tells us stories so that we can see things about ourselves. We're not supposed to read a parable and think, oh, that's a nice story. Thanks for cheering, Jesus. Gave me warm fuzzies. Can't wait to hear that one again. No, when we hear these parables of Jesus, you know what we're supposed to think? That's just like me. I wonder if he was talking about me. Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the story of the prodigal son. You ever heard of the story of the prodigal son? As I see, that's every hand here in this building then you know what we've said already about who we are as the prodigal. You know already about who God is as the loving Father. And we have to realize that there's probably always going to be a little prodigal son inside of us until our faith is made complete. Until we are with God. There's always going to be a little prodigal son in us. But then we remember... In the story that Jesus told, there were 
two sons. I think there's also, we realize, also as much as there's going to be a little prodigal brother in us, there's also going to be a little older brother in us as well. You know this older brother. He did what he was supposed to do. He was the good old boy. He was the one that stayed home while the younger, while the other son was plotting his, his plan to get his money. The things he was going to do. The other son was working like a dog his dad. And while his brother was out living the good life, living la vida loca, doing everything he wanted to do, he was at home working like a slave for his dad. But you can almost feel his anger, can't you? When he comes home from work one day and he hears that. And he sees some shadows in the windows and he sees people moving. They're dancing in there. They're having a party in my house. How come I didn't know about this? And then he finds out what's going on. This isn't just some party. My brother's back? And y'all having a party for him? Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, my goodness. How could his father do something so absurd? You can feel his resentment as well as he speaks to his father. He doesn't say, oh, Dad, I'm feeling kind of down. He says, listen! All this time I've been working for you and you've never done anything for me. Yet this good-for-nothing son of yours comes back and we have this big old party. See, friends, here's something I think we can take from this parable. Both brothers learned what grace is. Both brothers learned what grace is. Now you have to ask yourself, what is grace? There's a whole lot to be said about grace. Trust me. There's book after book and thought after thought. But grace, the simplest form is this. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. See, it's amazing that God is willing to do for us and give to us what we have not been worthy to receive. Y'all can do better than that. Jeez, y'all. How sweet the sound, right? That God is willing to do so much for us when our track record hasn't been that very good with what we're be, we've been willing to do for God. But that's what grace is. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Wesleyan terms, we, we think of grace in three ways. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. Our prevenient grace understanding is that God, before we cared, was there waiting for us. Just like the story says about the Father. Jesus said the Father saw the Son from very far off. That God was working in our hearts and in our world around us even before we cared. Even before we ever gave a thought to it. It's a part of who God is. part of God's love for us. So while we were out doing our thing, and maybe our thing wasn't partying like the prodigal son, maybe it was just our thing. But while we were out doing that, God was still calling out to us. 
And there comes a moment when we come to our senses and we realize everything we don't have and we realize how much God is calling us and we say, God, can I come home? And God says, yeah, I've been waiting for you. Let's celebrate. We call that God's justifying grace. That because of the love God has for us, God is willing to say, you are mine and I love you. And after we hear that message, We understand that we are growing in grace. We are learning more about ourselves, more about our faith, more about God. And even that is God's love working in us. God sanctifying grace, making us holy and holy each day. That is still a part of God's great loving work inside of all of us. So through this parable, I think, we learn what grace is. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. But we also learn through this parable what grace isn't. And friends, we have to realize that grace is not fair. The younger son had no right to come back and expect his father to accept him. He had no right. He knew that, and his brother knew that too. He had no right to deserve to do what he did, but friends, that's how grace works. Now remember, Jesus is telling this parable to a bunch of Pharisees and religious people because, apparently, uh, uh, tax collectors and sinners, those kind of people, you know, they've, they've made it a custom to follow Jesus around and to have dinner with Jesus and to listen to him, and Jesus is in the habit of befriending these kind of people And what do these religious people say to him? He likes to hang around with them kind of people. You see, in their mind, those tax collectors and sinners, they had no right to receive what Jesus was giving them. I think they knew it. And maybe that's part of why they were always willing to be there, because he was giving them something that they couldn't receive anywhere else. They knew it. And so did those Pharisees and those religious people. They knew those tax collectors and sinners didn't deserve anything. But friends, that's how grace works, isn't it? And I think that just as much as you and I as people need to hear this, we as a church need to hear that message again. I was once told by someone in a conversation about ministry and so on and so forth. Someone said, John, brace yourself. John, your greatest asset to the church is that you weren't raised in the church. Now, I want you to swallow that for a second and think about those words. John, your greatest asset to the church is that you weren't raised. I've thought about that a lot since that person told me that. And the only thing I can come up with is, wow. What does that statement say about the church? What might that statement suggest about who the church has been? I mean, because we started our service and I, our, our sermon time, and I asked you, is raising a family and being in church a good thing? And you all said... I had to pull it out of it, but you all said, yeah. 
But then someone has to say, man, John, the good thing about you is that you stayed away from those people. Ouch. Now here's the reality. I can't ever envision my family, my children, not being a part of church. I can't envision someone telling one of my children, your greatest asset is that you stayed away from those people. But I think, friends, we have to realize that sometimes we, church folk, we're good at singing Amazing Grace, hymn number 378. All six verses, as long as it's not pushing on 12 o'clock. We're good at singing Amazing Grace, but sometimes, sometimes we're not real good at living God has given to us what we don't deserve. And the reality is God has given to everyone what they don't deserve. And we have to be okay with that. Now this is one of those unfinished parables, kind of like what we talked about last week. You know, We don't know. Did the son go to the party or not? Don't know. That's for you to decide. Did he stay outside and pitch his fit and say, I'm going back in there. Or did he say, you're right, Dad. I'll go in. That's for you to decide. And how you decide, I think, is very important. Would you go in? You don't have to tell me now, but would you go in? Depending on your answer, you can see what God's trying to tell you. And friends, I think we have to realize that Christ wants his church to be a party place where prodigals can come to know what grace is. Amen? Christ wants his church to be okay with receiving grace. And Christ wants his church to be okay with allowing others to receive it as well. Even, even, when it doesn't seem fair. Oh wait, grace is never fair. Let's pray. Oh, loving God, thank you so much for being willing to love us when we have been so willing to leave you to do our own thing. Forgive us, God, for our waywardness and help us to know that you are there waiting for us with open arms. And as you continue to work in our hearts and in our faith, God, help us to have compassion and love and grace for our sisters and our brothers as well. Help us, God, to give them the space and the grace that they need to have the new life that you are willing to give them as well. In Jesus' name. Amen.